Good morning. Joshua, the 24th chapter, if you want to turn there, 29 through 31, that'll be kind of the springboard into our lesson this morning. I'll go ahead and pull up this first slide there so you can take a look at that. The art of the exchange from Joshua 24, verse 29 through 31. If I can get the slide to advance. Okay. Each generation, this is what we're going to talk about this morning, each generation should seek to pass on the faith to the next generation. And each generation recognizes that at some point that exchange must take place, but it's not always that easy. So this morning what I want us to give... This uh, the wonders of technology, right? Uh, three points I want us to give consideration to. Setting the pace, and that's talking about that first generation... And then making the exchange, and then what takes place after the exchange. And so in Joshua, the close of the book of Joshua there, you see that previous generation, and now the next generation is sort of taking over, so to speak. So let me give you this illustration as we get started this morning. The Summer Olympic Games are are coming up, track and field. And one of the events that takes place is what is referred to as the 4 by 100 Each country, each uh, nation has a team. There's four runners, and they're out there on the track, and each one runs 100 yards. They carry a baton, and then they pass it on to the next one, and then that person runs, and then through all four of them until they finish the race. Sounds fairly simple, right? Take the baton, run as hard as you can, when you get to the next person, give them the baton, and they run as hard as they can, and so on and so forth, till the race is over. But let me tell you, there's that critical exchange. There's a lot that goes into that, and it is practiced hundreds, dare I say, thousands of times. And the first runner will run at a certain position in the lane. And they will carry that baton in their right hand. The next runner will be positioned at a certain place in the lane. And they will reach back with their left hand. And then they, as they come into that sort of overlap exchange zone there. The first runner continues to run. The second runner begins to run. And they are looking ahead and they're reaching back. And you try to place that baton in their hand so as not to impede their advancement at all. And so it's practiced over and over and over again so that they might be able to make that exchange. But you have to keep in mind also, there's also a designated area for that exchange. You can't pass it before. You can't pass it afterwards. It's got to make that exchange in that designated area area that's a metaphor for this lesson okay because we oftentimes talk about passing the baton don't we and don't we talk about passing the torch don't we and that's going from parents to child or from generation to generation we pass the baton we pass the torch it happens in races it happens in life it happens in relationships It happens with 
the faith. So I want you to hold that thought in regards to making that exchange. There's the art of the exchange. So that first runner, that first generation, they are responsible for setting the pace. That runner out of the starting blocks helps to set the pace for that entire race. Joshua, the 24th chapter. I want to read verse 29 through 31 again. Now it came to pass after these things that Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died being 110 years old. And they buried him within the border of his inheritance at Timnath-Serah, which is in the mountains of Ephraim on the north side of Mount Gaash. Israel served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua, who had known. I like David's translation. It says experienced all the works of the Lord which he had done for Israel. Joshua led them through the wilderness, or Moses led them through the wilderness. Joshua took over and they entered into the land. We've been talking about that. It is now the first generation that is settled into the land. And it says that all the days of Joshua and the elders that outlived him, that they served the Lord faithfully, those who had known God and all that he had done for Israel. And as we read the book of Judges, they make a real good start. (laughs) In fact, Israel goes up to the Lord and they require of him and they ask him, who shall be first to go out to fight against the enemies now that we're here in this land? And the Lord responds and he said, Judah shall go first. And Judah says, okay, fine, we're going to go. And they asked Simeon, their brother, to go with them to fight against the Canaanites. And they're off to a good start. But then you continue to read in the book of Judges, even in the first chapter. And I won't take the time to read all these verses, but you can notice them. It's verse 19, 21, 27, 30, 31. Over and over again, it mentions various tribes and how they either compromised or they didn't drive out the Canaanites that were living there. They dropped the baton. And so in the book of Judges, then we see this cycle that we oftentimes talk about. There's this faithfulness, so to speak. It's like off to a good start. And then there's this compromise where they drop the baton, so to speak. And then their enemies start to overrun them, overtake them. And then they cry out to the Lord. And he helps them to pick the baton back up, so to speak to pick them up and put them back in the race and they start to run. They're faithful for a little while and then we see that cycle over and over again. Faithfulness, compromise, oppression, crying out, restored and then in a little while they drop it again. And you read that and you think, Why kept getting in their way? (laughs) 
How come they couldn't just stay faithful to the Lord and things would have been so much better? But they don't. Why couldn't they see? I oftentimes think you probably have to. Why couldn't they see how committed God was to them? And if they could just see how committed God was to them, that would help them to remain committed to Him. But it's like they have trouble with that. So I want to give you this other illustration. Because sometimes we as people, we have trouble staying committed to that, to that relationship. And I think sometimes it's affected, our commitment is affected by the things that we've experienced previously. So I share this illustration for, with you. It's a song entitled Daughters. I love this song. <laughs> Maybe you've heard it. If you haven't, I would suggest you listen to it. Because <laughs> I think it's a good application for what we're talking about here. It's a song about a guy who has fallen in love with this girl. But he can't figure out why it is that she's not really responding the way he thinks she should. And he wonders, is there something wrong with me? <laughs> she seems interested, but it seems like she has difficulty receiving his love and then returning that love. And then finally it dawns on him. It's not me. It's somebody else. But that somebody else is not somebody that he's in competition with for her affection. That somebody else that is affecting her is her father. And there was a critical time in this girl's life when her father should have been there. He wasn't there. He walked out. That experience has affected her. She has trouble receiving love. She has trouble giving love back. So here's some of the words to the song. He says, Fathers, be good to your daughters. Daughters will love like you do. Girls become lovers who turn into mothers, so mothers be good to your daughters too. And then he goes on to write about her. And he says, you see that skin that she's in? It's the same she's been standing in since the day she saw him walk away. Now, she's left cleaning up the mess that he made. He goes on in that song and he wants fathers and mothers. He wants one generation to give consideration to the impact 
that their decisions and their actions have on their children. But then he sort of broadens the message a little later in the song. On behalf of every man, he says, On behalf of every man, looking out for every girl, you are the guide and the weight of her world. (laughs) So essentially what he is saying is, we just need to understand we're all in this together. We may be the generation that is passing something on, and so we have to think about our actions. On the other side of that, we may be the generation that received, and what we received very possibly may not have been all that we should have received. And so sometimes we're not very good at relationships. But let me tell you something else. Sometimes we can kind of develop a victim mentality. Well, my relationships aren't very good because Previous to this, my relationships weren't very good. What was handed to me wasn't good. So, maybe I don't pass on things that are so good. Do you realize that at some point, that has got to stop? And so Ezekiel, the 18th chapter, God deals with that. And he speaks to that generation. He says, no longer shall you quote this proverb. The parents have eaten sour grapes and your teeth have been set on edge. (laughs) What the parents did, you can no longer use that as an excuse for what you do. It's in that same context of Ezekiel the 18th chapter that he goes on to say and you have to understand what he's saying he says the soul that sins it shall die in other words God's saying I know I know some things that came your way were not right but I'm telling you now you can know me God and how committed I am to you And that's where relationships begin. And these other ones, yeah, they may have not have been handled properly. But you need to come back to the original relationship. Back to the original commitment. And you need to understand how committed I am to you. And do you know what will happen when you come back to the original relationship? you'll feel loved (laughs) and you will be able to love and your relationships will get much better and you know what else you'll come to realize this you won't pass on your baggage (laughs) 
then you'll want to pass on your blessings. <coughs> then you'll realize, I don't want to pass on my brokenness. I want to pass on how I was healed when I came back to the original relationship. You know, in our society, we talk a lot about diversity, don't we? And there's male, and there's female, and there's black, and there's white, and there's yellow, and there's brown, and all this. And, and, and we are. We're a diverse society. But when it comes right down to it, we're all the same. Your background may be different than my background. Your story may be different than my story. I may have had blessings that you didn't enjoy. You may have had blessings that I didn't enjoy. There may have been some pain that come your way that I've never felt. I may have had some pain that you never felt. And so our stories, our backgrounds can be diverse. But I want to suggest to you there's commonality also. And the first commonality is just very simply this. We as human beings, we are broken. <laughs> Paul tells us that's Romans 3 and verse 23, for we've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There is not one of us that has never sinned. And those who have gone before us have sinned, and part of that has been passed on to us, and we sin and we pass on that to the next generation, and there's a commonality there. But I want to tell you something else. There's another commonality. And that's the Savior in Jesus Christ. Because the book of Acts tells us, Acts chapter 4, there is no other name under heaven by which we may be saved. So we have a common brokenness. But we have a common Savior. We may have suffered through difficult relationships, but we can have the original relationship. And when we come there, that's when the healing begins. So you just simply have to ask yourself, what do you want to pass on to the next generation? <laughs> Faith? Hope? Love? Wholeness? Or do you want to pass on pain and brokenness? So Joshua chapter 24 and verse 31 says, Israel served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua, who had known, who had experienced all the works of the Lord which he had done for Israel. Let me ask you a question based upon that verse. I think that's an awesome verse. What do you think God wanted passed on to the next generation? All that they had experienced with the Lord. That's what he wanted them to pass on. 
Turn to the New Testament. We're getting ready to study 1 Timothy, but I'm going to read from 2 Timothy. And we sort of made this point in class this morning in regards to the Apostle Paul and what he was passing on. But 2 Timothy chapter 1. Let me get that book. 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 5. And so Paul's writing to Timothy, and he's talking about Timothy. He says, When I call to remembrance the genuine faith that is in you, which dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded is in you also. So essentially when you read that verse and you talk about how Timothy came to have his faith that race, so to speak, Paul makes reference, started with the grandmother, Lois. And then that was passed on to the next generation, her daughter, Eunice. And then that was passed on to the next generation, Timothy. And Paul says, you saw it in your grandmother, you saw it in your mother, and now, Timothy, I'm convinced that's what's in you. Some translations say a sincere faith. Some translations say a genuine faith. Now you need to stop and think about that. What was passed down from generation to generation to Timothy? Religion? <laughs> Cultural Christianity. You need to have the right t-shirts. You need to have the right bumper sticker. <laughs> Is that what was passed down from generation to generation that Paul was convinced now was in Timothy? He said, what I see in you is a sincere, genuine faith. You know what that means? That means soul-saving, sin-forgiving, grace-given, mercy-received, life-changing, makes a difference in you faith. See, that's what I see. And so Timothy watched before those who ran the race and that's what he saw and now that's what was in Timothy so we have to ask ourselves when our kids or others look at us what's faith look like see oftentimes in a relay race that person out of the blocks, and I said they sort of set the pace. What you're hoping for is that that person sets such a pace that the next generation or the next runner has an advantage. <laughs> wow, here they come. They're leading the pack. That gives me an advantage, and I'm off to a good start. <laughs> 
And that's what Paul's saying about Timothy. Those who ran before you, they ran in such a way that you're able to get off to a good start. Sincere, genuine faith is what you saw in them. Now I'll give you a little insight from surveys that are done in regards to young people. When young people were surveyed, they were asked, what are you looking for in a church? You know what one of the main answers was? They said we're looking for authenticity. Authenticity. Isn't that interesting how young people can look at old people and they want to see, (laughs) is that authentic? (laughs) Is that sincere? Is that genuine? And they said, what we want to see is do the people in that church really seem to know God? And when asked about the music, they said the music wasn't as important as the words that were sung and the way they were being sung. They said, do the people sing like they really mean it? Authenticity. So sometimes people will ask a question like, how do you raise a child to be a follower of Christ? You ever heard that? You ever asked that? And a lot of times we kind of think, and oftentimes we think kind of about like the routine we go through, and so to speak. And so some people will say, well, if you want to raise a child that's going to be a follower of Jesus Christ, do you go to church? Do you go worship? And we go, well, yeah. That's part of that. And then they say, well, how about Bible studies? You go to Bible study? Yeah, yeah, I do that. Well, do you ever read your Bible at home and read with them? Well, well, that's part of that. That's a good idea. What about praying? Praying at mealtime. Do you do that? Yeah. Yeah. And all that can be a part of that. And I'll just tell you this. Sometimes that's applied different ways in different homes. But there's not really a secret formula. Because faith is not a formula. Faith is a life. And that will include all that. But it's a life. And they want to see, is your faith lived in your life? Not just going through certain routines, but is faith dominant in your life? Timothy saw that in his grandmother and in his mother. And Paul said, I'm convinced It's now in you. Another survey, the Barnes survey. 
It said nearly half of today's teens have no positive role model in their life. (laughs) One generation sets the pace for the next. And we've got to ask ourselves, what do you want to pass on to the next generation? Secondly, Making the exchange. Over in 1 Timothy chapter 1, which we did mention this morning in class. 1 Timothy chapter 1, beginning at verse 15. Paul says, This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. However, for this reason I obtained mercy, that in me first Christ Jesus might show all longsuffering as a pattern to those who are going to believe on Him for everlasting life. Now to the King, eternal, immortal, invisible, to God who alone is wise, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. So what Paul says, he said, I was the chief of sinners. But you can also see the blessing that I received. And that can be a pattern for others. And what do I want to pass on to the next generation? That's what I want to pass on. That Jesus Christ came into this world to save sinners. I was the chief. And so what Paul is saying is, recognize what it did for me. That's what I want to pass on to the next generation. That's what Joshua is saying. For that generation of, that Joshua lived and those elders that outlived him, all those that experienced God. And so Paul is saying, this is what I know. This is what I experienced. This is what I want to pass on. Did Paul have any baggage he could have passed on? Yeah. He said, I'm a Jew. (laughs) I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews. Circumcised the eighth day from the tribe of Benjamin. Among my brethren, I was a Pharisee. And what's he going to say about that? I counted that all as dumb. (laughs) That was becoming, had become my baggage instead of my blessing because I looked at it wrong but now I understand what I have in Jesus Christ and that's what I want to pass on and so Paul says in verse 15 this is a faithful this is a trustworthy statement of all acceptance Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners that's what he's saying trustworthy faithful statement Worthy of acceptance of everybody. This is what I want to pass on. I want to give you another illustration. Last Olympics. Women's team. Four by 100. They were heavily favored to win the gold. First leg of the race. First runners out of the blocks and they are off to a smoking start. (laughs) Second runner takes the baton and they are running great. It's looking good (laughs) for the U.S. Women's Olympic team. The gold is waiting at the end. (laughs) They get to the exchange between the second and third runner 
and the runner extends the baton and it's missed and it's extended again (laughs) and it's not grasped and again and they still don't get it finally the fourth time (laughs) the runner's got the baton guess what they're out of the zone race is over Twenty yards you've got, and you didn't make the exchange in that designated space. So the first generation sets the tone, and the next generation has to take the baton, and then they've got to run. But that handoff isn't as easy as it looks so Paul says in Ephesians the 6th chapter in regards to fathers fathers bring up your children in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord in Proverbs the 1st chapter the writer of Proverbs says speaking to children do not forsake the law of your father nor the teachings of your mother. They're trying to pass it on to you. Deuteronomy the 6th chapter. These words I command you this day shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and you shall talk of them when you sit in the house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up speak about God tell of his story tell of his wonderful works tell your children what God has done for you it's his love it's his mercy It's His grace. It's His truth. And whenever you do that, you know what you're doing? (laughs) You're trying to pass the baton. And so all those bedtime stories, all those readings of those children's books, all those answering a million questions from a child's mind. Daddy, why did God make elements so round? (laughs) And when I go outside, why do mosquitoes bite me? (laughs) And it's the reading. It's the praying. It's the giving thanks at mealtime. It's the talk about God and faith and Jesus and heaven and hell and why you believe. And it's showing that your faith is important in your life. And you're practicing the exchange because you want to hand it off. Because one day, you'll be gone. 
the exchange zone expires. So what you're doing is you're taking the faith, that baton, and you're putting it in their hand. And you want them to feel it. You want them to touch it. You want them to handle it. So that one day, they take it. And they run with it. But I want to say this also. That exchange in an Olympic race has a designated place for that exchange to happen. But when it comes to passing our faith, the faith, on to the next generation, that comes at different times for different people. Now, as we read 2 Timothy, and Paul says, we, I saw it in your grandmother, I saw it in your mother, and now I see it in you, and everybody regularly, regularly, readily, not regularly, readily, <laughs> agrees Timothy was a young man at that time. And he had had the faith handed to him. He had grasped it, now he's running with it. But that doesn't happen at the same time for everyone. Some may, it may happen for them very young. Some it may happen in their teens. Some may, it may happen in their 20s. Some may it happen in their 30s. I baptized a guy that was 84 years old. He told me about his father. His father teaching him when he was young. When he was a boy, how many times did that father try to hand that baton to him? Eighty-four. <laughs> he finally took it. So let me just say this about that. Matthew, the 20th chapter, right? The parable of the laborers. <laughs> the parable of the laborers in the vineyard. You remember? Some came early, some came later, and some came towards the end of the day. And Jesus gave each one a denarius. And then those who had come early came and they complained to Jesus. <laughs> or came to the owner of the vineyard. And said, you gave them the same as us. And he said, didn't I give you what I said I would? So why are you upset? Because I'm being gracious to them. So you don't ever stop trying to pass on the faith. It may take some longer. But we have a common sin. We have a common Savior. 
And we're all in this together. We're all cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ. But after the exchange, and I'll finish up with this, Joshua, the 24th chapter. I'll turn back there just quickly. Joshua 24 and verse 15. Passage that's familiar to most. In verse 15, he says, If it seems evil to you to serve the Lord, choose for yourself this day whom you will serve. Whether the, gods with, whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. So the people answered and said, Far it be it from us that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. And so Joshua is saying, We want to pass this on, but you have to make a choice. And that's the way it is for every individual. They have to make a choice. But what happens if a person takes the baton and they start to run with it and they drop it? Well, we know from various other passages and thanks to the grace and mercy of God, you can pick it back up. That's the story of Simon the sorcerer in Acts the 8th chapter. And Peter tells him to repent and to pray for forgiveness for what he has done. That's the story that we read in 1 John, the first chapter in verses 8 and 9, where he says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. You can be forgiven. You can get back in the race. So the previous generation, the one that's passing the baton, you have to think about what do you want to pass on. Your brokenness or your blessings. And then once it's passed on, what do you want to do for the next generation? You want to keep cheering for them. And if they drop it, you want to tell them how they can pick it back up and they can get back in the race. And you want to keep cheering for them. So whether it's parents passing to children or Christians passing to the next generation. Understand what it is that we want to pass on. Understand that we have a certain amount of time in order to make that exchange. And then understand also that once that exchange has been made, there's always the possibility, just like with us, you might drop the baton. And what should you do? Encourage and pick it back up. Get back in the race till you finish. There's an art to making the exchange from one generation to the next. And so the first one needs to set the pace and show how the race is run of a a sincere, genuine faith. But recognize at some point that we have to make that exchange and that exchange comes at different times for different people. But when it does come, you keep cheering for them, even if they stumble, even if they drop it. Set the pace, make the exchange, keep cheering. I want to extend the invitation this morning to any and all that are here. If we can help you this day in any way in making your relationship right with the Lord, please let us know while together we stand and while we sing.